Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. Well, good morning. It's great to see you. Great to have our online audience joining us this morning. I love that we're a church family that gets to me in all different types of ways. Isn't it a beautiful thing to come together online and in person and worship together and learn together? I'm so excited to be here with you this morning. Now, I don't know if you know this, but a long time ago, what feels like a lifetime ago, Skip and I were actually youth pastors. So you see all those youth walking out right now? Hey guys, we're so glad that you're here. We used to be youth pastors. And youth pastoring is a fantastic gig. It is an exhausting gig. It's lots of fun. It's really busy. I don't know if you know this, but this past weekend, our next-gen team hosted what they call Youth X the City. Now, you probably don't know what Youth X the City means. I didn't know. Um, and X actually means collaboration. So maybe you do. Maybe you're more hip than I. X means collaboration. And so they brought youth groups all over our city into our building, and they worshiped together, and they learned together, and they had community together, and it was fantastic. There were over 100 people in this building. It was so fantastic to be all together. So that was a lifetime ago, me and, me and Skip were youth pastors. And during that time, we had the privilege of really mentoring hundreds of students. And over the, over the course of those many years, or it felt like decades, it wasn't, um, there were some students that really were quite memorable. I'll never forget them. One of them was a girl, I'm not gonna tell you her name, but she was 11 years old when I met her and her family. Now, life had been pretty difficult for this young girl already. A couple years earlier, her mom had passed away. And so she lived with her dad, and she lived with her older sibling, and they were a fantastic family. They were always showing up to volunteer. They were involved in everything that we did, always willing to help, smile on their faces, community people. They were like cream of the crop individuals. Uh, but they also struggled in a few areas of their life, specifically with their health and also financially. You see, dad and mom both had physical challenges that had um, meant that they weren't able to work. And so they were dependent on payments that would come in monthly. And money was very, very tight. And so they'd have to wait until those payments came in before they'd be able to go to the grocery store and get food. And so we were, we were always helping them. But you know what? They never complained about it. I never heard from their mouths how difficult life had been. They were full of joy. They were fantastic people. Now, it was about a year into knowing that family that I started mentoring this little girl. Uh, we started meeting. She would come to my office weekly after school, and she was incredibly bright. She was funny. She was resilient. There was amazing qualities about this girl. And I saw, have you ever seen this? I saw a little flame in her that I felt could be fanned and it could be fanned into a really uh, incredible thing. And so we started meeting together. Um, through these mentoring sessions, uh, I discovered that she had a role in her family. Her role was actually, at 11 years old, uh, when the payment would come in 
she would go to the grocery store on her own. And so I suggested that maybe some of our weekly mentoring sessions might be that I would take her to the grocery store and help her purchase food for her family. I quickly discovered what they did, though, um, was that what they would do is the money would come in on a specific day and they would go get pizza. They would celebrate by getting pizza. They'd have a pizza night. It'd be fantastic. It'd be a family night. But there wasn't always so much money to continue throughout the month for what they actually needed. And so she and I, we would talk about um, the value of food. We talked about the nourishment of food compared to other foods. And I convinced her, actually, that we would go to the store. We would buy some frozen pizzas. They could still have pizza night, but we'd be able to, to buy much more food. The money would spread. And so it was actually a really great mentoring environment. We were both growing. Um, I, was start, I was really loving her. She was really loving the mentoring sessions. And so as usually happened, uh, it, as a youth pastor, what I would do is I'd eventually start thinking about these, this child's future, this kid's future, this teen's future. And so I knew there was a specific day where I knew I wanted to talk to her about what she wanted to do with her life. And she was about 13 at the time. And I knew high school was on the horizon. She'd have to start making some course selections. And so what I did was I sat her down and I said, you know what? I started talking about her talents and her dreams. And I started calling things out of her. Like, for example, she was incredibly smart. When she applied herself at school, she got fantastic grades. She was incredibly social. She was amazing at building community. This girl was artistic. Like, when she would paint or draw or she would write, amazing things would happen on that paper. I also called out the fact that she was a leader. She had started leading within, or, within um, roles within our organization. And finally, she was resilient. This girl had gone through so much, and she was growing, and it was exciting to see. And after I had done that with her, after I had talked to her about all these incredible qualities I saw in her life, what I said to her was, so what do you think you want to do with your life? Like, of all these things that you could do, what like, job do you think you'd really want to do? I'd had this conversation with hundreds of kids before. I'll never forget what she said to me. She looked at me and she said, Pastor Jessica, oh, I'm not going to work because when I'm older, when I turn 18, I'm going to go on disability. And you know what? My heart sank because the future that I was envisioning for her, the many doors I knew that could be opened up in her future had already been closed shut by a mindset that she was believing in. And so began another process in our mentoring journey, where I began convincing her to believe in a future that I already believed in for her. And I'm here to tell you, it isn't easy. It isn't easy work to believe in someone else's future. The movies, Hollywood will tell you that it looks something like this. Standing in the stands at like a sports game, a high school sports game, calling out, you can do it, as the quarterback scores the winning touchdown, and a team wins the whole year, the series, whatever it is. That's what Hollywood will tell you it's like to mentor someone. What it's really like is really pulling them out of a mud pit time after time again, saying, you can do this. See, believing in someone's future is often grit-filled. It's often tear-filled, and it's always motivated by love. And that's what we're going to talk about today, love. Now, we've arrived at the end of our Brutiful Faith series. And if you're like me, maybe you've identified a little bit with Peter over these last few weeks because what Peter is best known for the amazing things he did for the kingdom. But much of his story 
is actually focused on his struggle, his stumbling, the many mistakes that he made on his long path towards becoming more like Jesus. And over this series, we've witnessed how Peter has grown up in his faith. He's added goodness. He's added knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness. Last week, we learned that he added kindness by including others who were significantly different than him. And he welcomed the Gentiles into the family of God. And so today, we're going to learn about that final attribute in which Peter encourages us, followers of God, to grow in. And Peter says this, and to your kindness for one another, add love. To your kindness, add love. Now, when I say love, I'm sure there are a lot of things that come up in your mind because we use this one English word to describe a lot of things, don't we? We say love when we're going to make a lifelong commitment to someone during a wedding ceremony, but we'll also use it to describe a Netflix show that we're probably going to forget about next month. We use the word love to describe our favorite candy bar, but we also use it to describe the feeling we have when we hold our firstborn child. You know what? We use the word love to describe a sports team who may continually disappoint us year after year after year, Pastor Jonathan, but... We also use it to describe the feeling that we have towards the parents who sacrificed and raised us. If you think about it, these four little letters are not enough to express what that word really means. But thankfully, the Greek language gives us four more words to describe our one English word for love. And the first one is this. It's called eros love. It's a sexual love. It's orientated around me and my needs. Now, Eros love can actually be very good when it's used in the context that God designed it for, between two partners in a covenant relationship. Eros is the word that the Song of Solomon uses uh, to describe the sexual relationship between two committed partners. It's good to note, though, that in a marriage, it should not be based on this type of love because it's a self satisfying love, and it has a shadow side, and its shadow side can be destructive. And if this is the only love that is in existence between two people, that relationship is going to become extremely selfish and extremely destructive. So that's the first word. The second one is this, philia love. That's a friendship love. It's orientated around friendship, brotherly love, it's called. This has an us mentality. This is the type of love that actually can create really great lifelong partners, whether that's romantic or through friendship, because it's that we love that builds towards the future as a team. This actually can be the higher level of romantic love uh, between two committed partners. It's the kind of love that can last decades, even a lifetime, because it works together towards a shared goal. The third love that I want to talk about today is called storge love. Now, this is family love. It includes, like in its word, its meaning, it includes words like cherishing, reciprocal tenderness. I love that word. It's really the word that's used between a parent and a child or siblings in the Bible. So that's storge love. And the final love, and you may have heard of this one, is agape love. Now, agape love is sacrificial. It's focused solely on the needs of others, often to the detriment of the one who is offering it. Agape love is how God loves us, his creation, his children. 
Agape love is unconditional. It's pure. It's sacrificial. It comes from God. It's incomparable, and we can't even measure it. So these are the four types of love that are often found in biblical literature, and they're going to be important to help us understand today's story. Our story begins in the book of John chapter 21. Now we're, we're nearing the end of Jesus's earthly life. Jesus knows that a time is soon coming for him to die on this earth and return to the Father. And if you have ever had the honor of journeying with someone at the end of their life, the conversation that we're about to look at is going to make a lot of sense to you. The truth is that as an individual, as an individual prepares for the end of their time on earth, their conversations, their reflections tend to move towards the more lasting things in life, kind of like passing down a legacy. And in John 21, 15 to 17, we see exactly that, the passing down of a legacy between Jesus to Peter. Let's read it together. After breakfast, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know that I love you. Then go feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time, Jesus asked him, Peter, do you love me? Peter was hurt now that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then go feed my sheep. Now, this is a really interesting conversation, isn't it? Obviously, Jesus wants to figure out if Peter loves him enough and loves his sheep enough so that Jesus can hand over his life's work to Peter. And we could move along in our teaching today. We could discuss what we can learn from this today. We can learn a lot from it. But sometimes it's worth it to pause and figure out what the context of the story is, how the, how the original readers would have read it. And if we're going to look at the original, we would look at the Greek. And so I've added some Greek text, and I want you to see what happens here. It's very interesting to see what words Peter and Jesus choose to use. Let's read it again with the Greek text. Now, after breakfast, Jesus asked Peter, do you agape love me? Remember, agape is unconditional and sacrificial. Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know that I philia love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question. Peter, do you agape love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I philia love you. Then take care of my sheep. What Jesus is saying is, uh, Peter, would you lay down your life for me? And Peter's replying, well, Jesus, I love you like a brother. You know, I love Peter here. He is the real deal. He recognizes and he admits that he does not love Jesus with agape love, a love that sacrifices everything for Jesus. Peter admittedly is not who Jesus is. Peter is less than and I think at that moment, he recognizes it. And so watch what Jesus does in the third part of this question. A third time, Jesus asked him, Peter, do you philia love me? He changes the word. Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know I didn't agape love you. You know that I philia love you, Jesus said. Uh, Peter said, then feed my sheep. You see, Jesus switches the word 
in that third question. And in doing so, Jesus is declaring that he is willing to take Peter's lesser love. He's willing to accept what Peter can offer, his inadequate love. And even though it is lacking compared to what Jesus can offer, Jesus is still willing to do something with it. See, by changing the word the third time that Jesus asks, Jesus is accepting his offer. He's qualifying it. He's saying, you know what? I'm going to take your, what you can offer me, and I'm going to make you an incredible offer, Peter. Peter, I want you to take the love that you can offer today, and I want you to use it to shepherd my sheep. Peter, I'm asking you to love the sheep, the sheep that I, agape, love. But you and I were a lot like Peter, aren't we? On our own, it would be next to impossible to conjure up agape love, sacrificial love, lay down my life type of love towards other people. The reality is we are selfish. We want what's best for me, don't we? Even with our own best intentions of wanting to love those who are closest to us, who mean the most to us, our love often falls short, doesn't it? You know, we need the Holy Spirit to help us. There would come a time when Peter would experience the presence of the Holy Spirit, and then he would be able to offer agape love from God to other people. But in this moment, on his own, Peter is not enough. His love falls short. Now, earlier this week, we were having a tough morning in our home. Everyone in our whole family was a little bit off. Anyone ever had that? No, just us? Okay, fantastic. Well, our kids were fighting. I don't know if your kids fight. Our kids were fighting. I don't even remember what it was about. They were all fighting. Uh, Skip and I were forced to be creative in the lunch department. Everyone had to do that before where somebody has forgotten to go get the groceries or there's been no time to get groceries. And so there's not a lot of food in the house and you're being creative about what you're going to throw in the lunch so that nobody judges you at the school. They don't think that you're not feeding your children. But like truthfully, you just didn't have enough time to go to the grocery store. So our kids, they weren't thrilled with like the lunch offerings. So they were in a grumpy mood about that. We were in a grumpy mood. And then also our house was a disaster because snow was on the way. And so we had opened up all the winter bins and we're trying to find all the stuff. Anyone else? Can you even relate to this? Okay, some of you. So our house was a mess. We had found the mittens. We had found the gloves. Everyone was in a mood. Um, and we're racing to get these kids out the door with everything that they could possibly need for school. The truth is that everyone in our family was less than loving when we left the door that day. And as we were walking to the bus, one of my neighbors called out, good morning, and we are close with our neighbors. We love our neighbors. We spend lots of time with them. But this morning, I was in a mood. And looking back, I know that it showed. Looking back, I'm embarrassed to admit what a poor representation of Jesus I was that morning. There's a verse in the Bible that comes to mind when I reflect on my less than stellar moments, and it's this one. John 13, 35, by your love, the world will know that you are mine. If we added the Greek, it would say, by your agape love, the world will know that you are mine. Now, it'd be one thing if this, this verse could just use philia love, because philia love I could probably conjure up. I could be friendly towards other people. I could want what's best for them and for me, but agape the word that Jesus says the world needs to recognize, that's a hard one to conjure up on my own, especially if I'm supposed to show it to other people. Agape love is sacrificial. It's others-focused. 
It's a love that can only come from Jesus. It's impossible for us to make it up on our own. It's something we need to grow into. We need God's help if we're ever going to be able to show it. I find it fascinating that in the conversation with Jesus, Peter admits that philia love is the love that he is able to offer. But at the end of his life, when Peter encourages us, the followers of Jesus, to grow and add kindness and goodness and self-control and all of those wonderful things to our faith, Peter includes that we should also aim to grow in agape love, something he himself lacked when Jesus had asked it of him. Here's the truth. Peter was only able to grow in agape love because Jesus modeled it faithfully for him. See, even in the moments that Peter could not offer it back, Jesus loved him with agape love. Jesus agape loved Peter well. And as a result, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter was then eventually able to share agape love with the world around him too. Because agape love is how Jesus chooses to reveal himself to the world. And when agape love is in action, four things can happen. The first is this, agape love offers accountability. See, Jesus was forcing Peter to be honest with where he was at. Jesus pushed Peter to consider if he could use the word agape towards Jesus. He asked it of him two times. And we watch as Peter admits honestly that he cannot. In this instance, Jesus wanted Peter to be honest with his humanity and admit what he lacked. And that's a hard one for us, isn't it? To be honest with our humanity and admit that we are lacking See, Jesus wouldn't allow Peter to live with a false pretense that Peter could adequately care for the sheep that Jesus would leave in his hands. Jesus wanted Peter to admit that he wasn't capable of agape loving anyone on his own because Peter, Jesus knew, would need the Holy Spirit in the years to come. The second thing that agape love does is it offers forgiveness. You know what, there were many times before this, after this, that Jesus had to offer forgiveness to Peter. It was often daily, sometimes hourly, that Jesus would extend forgiveness to Peter. He was continually offering Peter grace and space. Grace because Peter often did not measure up the way that he should have. And space for Peter to grow, even when it was taking longer than maybe it sometimes should have. Agape love offers forgiveness. The third thing it does is agape love offers restoration. See, Jesus could have simply walked away. He could have walked away from all of this conversation when Peter admitted that he couldn't sacrificially love like Jesus could. And in that way, he couldn't sacrificially love Jesus' sheep the way that Jesus could. If Peter wasn't up for the task Jesus could have just found another way to take care of the sheep. But there is Jesus refusing to allow Peter to remain in his stagnant place. Anyone ever been there before? Where you're like in a stagnant place in life and, and the Holy Spirit's just refusing to allow you to stay there. So Jesus, you know what he does? He accepts Peter's humanity. That's what God does for us. He accepts our humanity. But he calls Peter up to something greater than who he is at the present moment. Because the fourth thing that agape love does is it sees the future potential. 
You know what? Jesus saw what was not yet in Peter. Kind of like that young 13-year-old sitting in front of me saying she was going to go on disability when she turned 18. I knew there was something more than life could offer her. I saw a potential on the horizon if only she would choose to make some choices today. And in the same way, Jesus could envision a thriving, growing movement of followers who would spread the good news around the whole world, and this group would be led by a grown-up Peter. Because even though Peter was not able to offer agape love on his own, Jesus saw a future where Peter would lead with agape love through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so believing in Peter and believing in the future that wasn't quite a reality yet, Jesus extends his hand towards Peter and he pulls him up instead of turning around and finding another way. Now we launched Follow in the fall. Follow is a program in which you can take an assessment and it can, it can map where you are on your spiritual journey and it has allowed people to start taking the next best step in their faith journey. Some of our church family who completed that assessment are now working towards the discipline of mentorship, which is investing their lives into another person in the same way that Jesus invested his life into Peter. You know what? Mentorship can be messy. It costs us something. It can be exhausting. But it's always worth it. The process of mentoring and believing in Peter's future was worth it because Jesus had someone he could hand off his life's work to. In fact, Jesus later declares that he would build his church on Peter's life. And as we've learned in this brutal faith series, Jesus didn't choose Peter because he was perfect. Jesus chose Peter because he was moldable. Jesus chose Peter because he was teachable. Jesus chose Peter because he was willing. And God can use that. You know, it's a beautiful thing to watch somebody open up their lives and be willing to be used by God. We've had the joy over the last few months of watching agape love here in action at One Church TO. Now, as pastors, we often get an inside view on how the Holy Spirit is changing somebody. We get to see how he does it and the, and the effects of that. Um, but I wanted to share with you today maybe a few ways that we have seen this happening in our church family because they're cause for celebration. We're so thankful for what God is doing. Last weekend, our junior highs woke up early on a Saturday morning. Now pause for a second. I don't know if you know this, but like Saturday morning is prime time sleeping for teenagers, right? Like you can't even get them out of bed. And we had a big group of junior highs come to the church. And what they did was they made sandwiches. They wrote encouragement cards. They created care packages for our city's downtown homeless population. And then they traveled by a bus downtown and they split up into groups and they walked around our city and they handed out a tangible expression of the agape love of Jesus. You know what? Their actions were declaring that there is a better future in store than maybe the present day reality. And as I watched them preparing on that Saturday morning, I couldn't help but think the world will know that these junior highs are followers of Jesus because of their agape love. Now on that same Saturday, our kids came to the church and they hosted a seniors tea 
for our seniors. Now, our seniors arrived at the church and they thought they were just coming to hang out with the seniors. Like, they thought it was just a seniors gathering. We didn't tell them. It was a surprise. And they arrived and our kids were ready and they welcomed them. They ushered them into the room. They took their orders. They, they got their food. They served them their food. And as they did that, our kids were a tangible reminder of the agape love of Jesus to a group of seniors who we all dearly love. And I couldn't help but thinking, the world will know that these precious kids are followers of Jesus because of their agape love. Then following that tea time, our seniors were then invited to lean in and pray over our kids. And you know what, it was very special. And it was a significant moment as our seniors led with faith, declaring that these kids had a bright future ahead of them and at our church. The kids shared with them some of the things that they were struggling with, some of the things that they were worried about. And our seniors declared over them that God was always with them and that they were valued and loved members of One Church TO. You know, I was so proud as a pastor to watch our oldest generation so lovingly, so agape lovingly love on our youngest generation here at the church. And I couldn't help but think, the world will know that these beautiful seniors love Jesus because of their agape love. And then finally, did you know, and I wonder, did you know that every Tuesday, this building transforms into a food bank that serves over 800 people in our neighborhood? As we shared last week during our Love Army anniversary gathering, our food bank is growing as more and more people are requiring help in these difficult times, which means that the need for volunteers is growing week by week. This might be an area where you can lean into. Thankfully, we do have a small group of volunteers who come each week and they sacrificially invest their time to provide for that community. Some of these volunteers, they come in the morning. They come after a night shift. And they show up and they set up for the food bank. Other volunteers, they come during the afternoon and they, they work at the food bank. They provide what is needed in our community. And still others, you know what they do? After their day jobs, they show up here in the evening and they help clean up. This team tangibly offers agape love to our community and they're declaring that people are valued and worthy of love and dignity, especially in a season where they might not feel it. You know, I'm so thankful for this group of volunteers and I can't help but think that the world will know that One Church TO follows Jesus because of our agape love. You know what, this is why we call ourselves the Love Army. We are living examples of agape love in action, a sacrificial, others-focused love that compels this community to go out and be unignorably good. You know what, these pictures, they remind me of a verse that many of us will know. It says this, agape love is patient. Agape love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Agape love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. Agape love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, 
always perseveres. Agape love, say it with me, never fails. You know what, on, the, on his own, Peter was none of these things. Peter needed the work of the Holy Spirit in his life to produce the type of love that Jesus was asking of him, agape love. We all need the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to model this love frequently to the community around us. On our own, you and I are not patient. Maybe you are, I'm not. You and I are probably not kind. On our own, many of us are self-seeking. Many of us are easily angered. But just like Peter, the more time we spend with Jesus, the more we allow the Holy Spirit to kind of shave off those rough edges in our lives, the more kind and gentle and patient we become. The truth is that Peter could not get there on his own, and neither can any of us. There's only ever been one person who was all of these things on their own, and that is Jesus. See, Jesus modeled this 1 Corinthians 13 love, this self-sacrificing agape love focused on other people when he willingly chose to embrace the brokenness of our humanity by coming to live amongst it. And then when he died on the cross and paid the price of sin that none of us could afford to pay, Jesus provided a path out of our brokenness, a way to become more like him. Now, starting next Sunday, as, as Pastor Steph and Pastor Dan said, we're going to be taking a look at the path of how Jesus entered our brokenness. We're going to be celebrating Christmas together. We're going to be talking about why it was so necessary, so important, that Jesus fulfilled agape love in a way that we never could. And over this Christmas season, we're going to take a look at the story, God's agape love story for his world. You know what? God looked past the brokenness of our present. He looked past the brokenness of our world and he saw a future where his creation, us, his children, could one day be in relationship with him again. And not only did God believe in that future, he agape loved us into that future. And so over this Christmas season, we're going to take a look and discover the truth of those well-known words, for God so agape loved the world, that he gave his only son. Now, as we close today, I want to pray with two groups of people who might be joining us today. First, I want to pray with those who maybe you'd like to respond to this agape love of God. Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard the words, God loves you. Maybe it's the first time you've ever believed those words. If that's you, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the love of of Jesus. In just a moment, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray for you. And if you're ready to accept that love, I'm going to encourage you to pray along with me. The second group of people I want to pray for are those of us who identify as followers of Jesus. Maybe you've already accepted that God loves you. You know that. But maybe you're being challenged with the thought that God has asked us to offer agape love to the world around us our neighbors, our friends, our kids' educators, our our employees, if we're employers, the people we work with, our coworkers, the cashier at the grocery store when when I'm running late and I don't have a lot of time, God's asked us to agape love them. 
that's you, if you're being challenged this morning, I'm going to pray for us. And I'm going to pray that God would do the work inside of us so that we might be able to better agape love the world around us. And then at the end of this prayer, I'm going to speak a benediction over our hearts, a blessing, if you will, as we get ready to step out into the communities that God has placed us in and step out into the world that God has asked us to agape love. Let's pray together. God, we are so thankful for your agape love towards us today. God, we're so thankful for the sacrifices that you have made to ensure that we could have relationship with you. Today, I think of those who might want to respond to your offer of love. Maybe this is the first time they've heard that God has loved them. Maybe they believe it today. That's you. I'm going to invite you to pray just a simple prayer with me. It goes like this. God, thank you for your love. Thank you that you loved me enough to willingly come to our broken world so that you could provide me a way back to you. God, I accept your love. And I invite you to come into my life and help me to become more loving like you. And then God, I think today of those who are followers of you. I want to thank you that you fully and completely love us at exactly the stage that we are at. But you also lovingly call us to grow up into our full potential. And so today, God, I'm going to ask you, would you make us more like you? God, because you are kind, would you make us kind? Because you are patient, God, would you increase our patience? Because love does not envy and it does not boast, would you help our hearts to grow more humble like yours is, God? Because love is not proud and it's not rude, would you help us to recognize that there is a world outside of our windows that you have called us to agape love. God, because love is not easily angered, please help us learn to forgive. Help us learn to let go of the grudges that we want to take in life. God, because love stands up for evil, I pray that you would help us to learn to use our voices, use our resources, use our platforms, God, to speak up for the injustices of our world. We want to do justice, God, the Jesus way. And God, because love always trusts, because it always protects, perseveres, and it never fails, would you help us to extend agape love to the world around us? Father, shape us, mold us to be more like Jesus. And so now as we go into the world, I pray this blessing over each of us. May the abundant agape love of God surround you. May the extravagant grace of Jesus sustain you. And may the constant presence of the Spirit be with you so that the world may know that you belong to God. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time. Thank you.